Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. Florida's population boom has helped drive our booming economy. Our economy has been labeled white hot with a $1.4 trillion GDP and unemployment of 2.6%. That's nearly a percentage point below the national unemployment rate. But our soaring economy may be leaving some Floridians behind. Inflation here is outpacing the rest of the country and many residents struggle to afford housing and other necessities. And low unemployment means some businesses are finding it hard to staff up. For the past few weeks, we've been exploring what Florida's rapid growth means for the Tampa Bay region. In Our Changing State, we've discussed housing, the environment, transportation and culture. Now, we turn to the economy, and we'll put your questions to our expert panel. Questions about wages, the cost of housing, income disparity and the kinds of jobs Floridians have. And the impact of the recent surge of new arrivals to Florida since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. First though... Let's meet John Horn, who owns five restaurants in the Bradenton area that include several Anna Maria Oyster Bar locations. He also serves on the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association board as vice chair and restaurant director. WUSF's Craig Cobb caught up with Horn at the Bradenton Oyster Bar on Cortez Road recently, just as the restaurant's staff was preparing to open. Before they sat down to talk about the changing economics of the state of Florida, they took a quick tour of the place. Pedro! So how did you get started in the business? I, crazily enough, I started as a busboy, as a summer job, and loved it from day one. Absolutely loved it. When's the last time uh, you uh, bust a table? Two years ago, I celebrated my 40th year in the industry and said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to bust tables. And what I learned is the plates are a lot heavier now than when I... <laughs> When I was 20 years old. Hey, John. How are you? Good. Hey, John. So what's your favorite thing on the menu here? Grouper. I, I, I'm just a sucker for blackened grouper. I could eat it probably twice a day, seven days a week. <laughs> are you a native Floridian? I am. I was born and raised here. I am a fifth-generation Floridian. So the Florida you grew up in and the Florida you're doing business in now, what's the most fundamental change that, that you see or feel? You know, one of our restaurants is celebrating its 50th year. So it opened in 1973, Cafe La Rope down on St. Armand Circle. We, we've seen the menus from 1973, from 1977 when, when shrimp cocktail was, you know, 95 cents. And, you know, the most expensive thing was two ninety-five. Obviously, the prices have changed drastically in 50 years, but they've changed drastically in the last five years as well. I look at the housing prices and then I look at people who work for you, let's say, how are, are they going to be able to afford to have a middle-class lifestyle in a state where things are gotten so expensive so quickly? Well, it, again, it's funny. We were driving down Longboat Key to one of the restaurants this weekend, and I was pointing out to my wife, see those apartments right there. That's where all the staff for all the restaurants used to live. 
they can't afford to live on Longboat Key, Anna Maria Island anymore. And for the most part, they can't afford to live a lot of places in Manatee, Sarasota County. So it's something we're all working on, and we better work on it quickly because it is a huge problem. Where does the middle class, where does the working class live? People are struggling, but the money's there. The money's out there for people that will work. So it is the attitude of will I go out and will I work? You know, it, we've got a lot of different jobs in Florida, and there's a lot of empty jobs in Florida. Somebody's got to take a job. Um, and I think people don't realize how much some of these jobs are paying. So you have the impression that, you know, a server in a restaurant is a lowly paid, you know, sub-minimum wage employee. And we have servers that are making $80,000. So it's just a matter of realizing it, things aren't like they used to be. Now we're dealing with an inflation rate that is way higher than the rest of the country, even at this point. How is that affecting you as a, as a restaurateur? Food inflation, the first part of this year was up 14%. You know, you can't raise your menu 14%. And you should raise it even more than that because your food cost is 30% of your menu. So at that rate, I should raise my menu probably 50%. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't just keep raising prices. So we've got to find ways to be smarter, to work smarter. We, we learned we don't need as many people in an office during the pandemic. We're finding we don't need as many people working in the restaurant as we once thought. But that doesn't help with the employment if you're cutting back on your, you know, your staff size. Is Florida ready for what's going on? Absolutely not. I mean, we've got to be able to provide transportation, infrastructure, water, water, water. Water. I don't know if I mentioned water yet. What about water, John? <laughs> it's so crucial that we are making sure that we can provide everything we need for these thousand people a day moving to Florida. Yeah, you can keep building houses, but you have to have people that can support those houses. You have to have people that can, you know, we have to have more restaurants if there's a thousand more people a day. People go out to eat, thank goodness. So we've got to support those. We've got to have doctors. We've got to have nurses to take care of the people that are moving here. We have to think. So if you had um, a full session of the state legislature in front of you and the governor's there, you would ask them to do what? They need to be thinking about 2040, 2045, 2050, not tomorrow. We've got to look further ahead. We've got to make Florida so that it's affordable for everyone. And that was Bradenton restaurateur John Horn talking with WUSF's Craig Cobb. You're listening to Florida Matters. Coming up, we'll continue the conversation about our changing state as we put your questions about Florida's economy to our expert panel. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're continuing our exploration of how Florida's growing population and other rapid changes are affecting you, our neighbours across the Tampa Bay region. And on this episode of our Changing State, we're putting your questions about Florida's economy to our expert guests. Florida's massive population growth is behind the state's booming economy, but there are growing pains too. Many of our listeners are worried about the cost of housing, and some businesses are struggling to find employees, as Florida's unemployment rate hovers around a low 2.6%, and inflation is driving up the cost of living. Well, joining us now is Michael Snipes. He's an instructor in economics at the University of South Florida. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Also joined by Stephen Meyer, CEO at CareerSource Pinellas. Thank you, Stephen. 
Thank you for having me. Let's talk about Florida's minimum wage for a moment. It's currently $11 an hour. It's set to rise to $15 an hour by 2026. Michael, could you just give us a sense of what pay rates are like in Florida right now? Who's kind of making what when it comes to salaries and wages? Yeah, well, Florida tends to be kind of maybe middle of the pack when it comes to just kind of average minimum wage payments that that they're going to make. Certainly, there's going to be states acting independently and they can set higher minimum wage rates. And we've seen a couple of states already doing that. But, you know, Florida is going a slightly different direction in, in doing these kind of $1 every year pay increases. And so when we look at those differences, I think that, um, you know, Florida, Florida is looking fairly well compared to the rest of the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Stephen, what are you seeing from businesses? Which businesses are thriving? Who's hiring right now? Well, what we're seeing is really everybody's hiring. In Florida, for every 100 job openings, there are 64 job seekers looking. So one of the things that we are seeing as a challenge is employers, organizations like ours, having job fairs. We're just not seeing the job seekers at these events. Is there an oversaturation of job fairs? It's possible, but everything that we've heard the businesses are just having trouble finding the employees. You know, they're looking for an employee with exactly what they're looking for. They need to be more flexible nowadays and looking for transferable skills. And when you think about what's happening now compared to previous years, is this unusual or is it just part of the general cycle of sometimes there are more jobs available, sometimes there's fewer jobs, it kind of ebbs and flows? Well, with the unemployment rate in the mid twos, we're essentially at full employment. And then with the pandemic a couple of years ago, people got used to working remotely. And so you have a lot of people in Florida who potentially are working remote for companies that don't physically are located here in Florida. Mm -hmm. So that takes people out of the local workforce. I want to just read some observations for you that we got from our listeners on wages and jobs in Florida. Here's Joanne Gorzewski in Venice, who says, we rely on tourism. Our residents provide support, i.e. low-paying roles dependent on others. And also had this observation, our education system is embarrassing teacher pay among the lowest in the country. And Bill Stokes had this to say, Bill Stokes from St. Petersburg said, low-paying jobs will keep Florida at the bottom while income disparity will get worse and create more disparity and dissension. And another comment from Carolyn Owens of Venice, minimum wage too low. So a sense of what some people are are saying out there, Michael, are salaries keeping pace with inflation and other factors tied to the cost of living here in Florida, like housing costs? No, uh, (laughs) but that's that's really not unique to to Florida. That's really a problem that's been a problem for the the entire country since at least the, the early 1980s. So when we talk about, you know, increasing minimum wage by a dollar and we can look and say, well, if we went from, you know, $10 an hour to $11 an hour, well, that was a 10% pay increase, but that's really only a dollar per hour. And and what we really need to keep an eye on is that when we see these minimum wages going up, we kind of automatically think, oh, well, this has to be a good thing. But what we need to keep an eye on is not just incomes, but it's also prices. So if prices are are increasing more quickly than, than wages are, well, then on net, you're worse than you were the year before. So if prices are outpacing income growth, which is what we're seeing now in Florida and really generally more broadly across the entire United States, 
that really hasn't really changed or it's actually decreased over, over the past several years. You know, what we call real income, right, or things and things of that nature. And that's really what we want to keep our eye on because that's what we as consumers like to do. We like to consume things. So that's the number that we really need to keep an eye on more than wages. Steve, I wonder what you're hearing from job seekers. Does that kind of reflect what people who are looking for jobs are saying, that they, they just need more pay or they want more pay? Well, here in along the Gulf Coast in Pinellas County, one of the things that we're seeing is some of the job postings, some of the jobs are still being posted for less than $15 an, an hour in healthcare, manufacturing, customer service, and hospitality. And these jobs are really competing against the big box retailers and some fast food restaurants that have increased their starting wages to $17 to $21 an hour. So the struggle we have is, you know, maybe somebody would take a $15 an hour job in healthcare that is building a pathway to a career that in two to three years, they might be making $25, $30 an hour, but they're thinking short term and taking that $19 an hour job. But there's really not much upward mobility for that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we're seeing, you know, we talk about the minimum wage. What we like to talk about is a living wage because here in you know, along the Sun Coast, the Alice report, which is the asset limited income constrained employed for a family of four, they need to make $88,000 to live comfortably along the, the Gulf Coast here. And $15 an hour isn't going to get you there. Exactly. Michael, we often hear that tourism drives Florida's economy. That's the sense we got from some of our listeners, as you just heard. Is that still the case? Is that something that's changing or, or is likely to change? Uh, I don't really see that changing anytime soon. I mean, really, most of Florida's uh, economy is, is agricultural and, and tourism. Right? And both of those things are really strong. Right? There's, there's no real reason to expect that fewer people are going to go to Disney World or Universal or any of the other amusement parks. I mean, Florida's a known destination, right? They, they advertise very well. They get people to come down here. And so I don't really see any potential hits to tourism kind of in that macro sense. One thing that is true that, that could keep certain churches away is we do still have a, an inflation rate that's higher than the rest of the country. And so, again, if we go back, to, and it ties into what Steve was talking about with the living wage, that's really what we're interested in, right? How much we can actually consume or living wage or things like that. Mm -hmm. So if we do have prices that on average are higher than the rest of the country, well, then that decreases how much I can actually consume. That might make Florida a little bit of a less, uh, less of a value. Steve was also talking about jobs in the healthcare sector and, and other fields. Are those jobs, are you seeing more of a market for those kind of jobs in Florida? Definitely, definitely. And that's uh, we, where I am at USF. You know, that's That's been a big focus for our campus for, for several years now is expanding our nursing program. Uh, we have a nursing school with a full lab at the Sarasota Manatee campus. And this is something that, you know, you see a lot more advertising than you previously did on television. I'm sure at job fairs, that's one of the primary things that are there as well. So yeah, healthcare is definitely part of this expansion that we're seeing, right? Kind of this, this new influx of, of workers. Are, are, a lot of them are going to be going into healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, which is good because healthcare jobs tend to have a little bit better pay, and then that can offset some of the increase in prices that we're all also seeing. Steve, you talked about some companies being able to offer, you know, like $17 an hour wage, which is high when you compare it to Florida's minimum wage right now. 
like who are you hearing from that are having to boost wages to hire more staff or just to fill positions? It's difficult to really tell the employers that you're really competing against the Walmarts, the Targets, the McDonald's, the Raising Canes who's, who come into the market who are paying those wages. You know, they're still paying entry-level positions at $12, $13, $14 an hour. So it's an education to these employers. You know, also, Florida has a pretty good manufacturing base. And believe it or not, Pinellas, which is the second smallest county in the state, has the second or third largest manufacturing base. So we're dependent, in addition to tourism, on manufacturing. And one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, not many people are growing up and saying, hey, I want to, I want to go into manufacturing. You know, they want to go into high tech. They want to go into education. They want to go into healthcare. You know, so the manufacturing sector is is struggling to find employees as well. It's got to be hard to compete with the likes of a, a Disney or a Universal or even some of those big box stores that you mentioned though, right? Exactly. Unless what we do is we build a pathway and a return on investment to, to educate the job seekers as to, you know, what are your future earnings could be, you know, maybe direct them towards the trades and apprenticeships, you know, where they can get paid for learning. A lot of our guests had questions and concerns about wealth disparity. Here's a comment from Emily Lane in Bradenton, who writes, The rich got tremendously wealthier and are paying even less to support the infrastructure that made them wealthy, while the middle class is groaning under increasing taxation, lower and lower incomes, and problems such as inflation and post-COVID problems. I had to take out every penny of my retirement to survive through COVID and still had to declare bankruptcy despite working every gig job I could find. Then there's Nathaniel Robinson of St. Petersburg who had this observation, the rich get richer while the rest of us just work harder. Michael, I wonder about that. How much can you tell us about the wealth gap in Florida? Is it widening and how much of an impact from COVID are we still feeling in Florida's economy? Yeah, by and large, Florida tracks pretty close with with the rest of the country. So, I mean, that is one of the things that we're seeing an increase in in the United States. And so, yeah, we are seeing an increase in that in Florida as well. To Nathaniel's point, does it just feel as though some people are working harder while wealthy people continue to get wealthier? Or is it harder to make ends meet for middle and working class jobs now? And if so, if it is actually harder, when did that start to change? Yeah, so this, again, this kind of goes back to this idea of, of you know, kind of a real wage or a living wage. I mean, this has been a problem for, for decades. And wages just have not kept up with changes in productivity, with changes in prices, with changes in output. Really, those wages have stayed largely the same, but as our GDP goes up because we're producing more, those returns go somewhere. That increase in GDP goes somewhere. And what we found for the past several years, especially, and I think exacerbated by COVID, but has been kind of a bigger problem in the United States for many years, is that, yeah, that, that living wage or that, that real wage really has not changed and in a lot of cases has gone down. And so, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that are tied into this. But yeah, when we do see that that income and wealth disparity, a lot of that's going to be kind of really just a stagnant or decreasing real wage. Steve, I wonder if like what we just heard from one of our listeners there, are you hearing stories about people who are having to make accommodations, dipping into their retirement nest egg, for example, to get them through while they either look for work or deal with other financial pressures? Oh, absolutely. You know, some of the other things that we're seeing are uh, some of the other barriers you know, housing cost, affordable housing is really a big barrier here in, in Pinellas County. 
Some of the data that has just come out recently, over 55% of the families are housing burden in Pinellas, meaning they pay more than 30% of their income for housing and severely burden. There's uh, almost 27% paying more than 50%. These are rentals, you know, rents have gone sky high. Childcare, what we've seen is a barrier too. You know, the average full-time care daycare center is, is over $1,300 per month, uh, nationally 15,900 a year. What about a single person who has two children in childcare? That's over $30,000. In order for them to afford to go back to work, they need at least $25 an hour after taxes to be able to make it worthwhile. So there's transportation barriers, childcare barriers, housing barriers. You know, you can't just look at the, the wages and the living wage. It's, it's, the, it's other factors as well. Yeah, and housing is something that a lot of our listeners brought up. Let me just read you a couple of comments from some folks. Here's Connie McMahon and Zephyr Hills who writes, housing costs are unaffordable even out or up here in Zephyr Hills. The pace that they are rising because all the new rich out-of-staters is frightening. My mother's mobile home rent in Zephyr Hills just doubled from 850 to 1650 for an 82-year-old on a fixed income. She has to move out after 15 years there and has to move in with family. Michael, making that point there about people on fixed incomes, this is a state where a lot of folks have typically seen this as a destination for retirees for a long time. But do you see that changing because of those pressures, those uh, upward pressures on housing and other costs? Well, it's it's going to be a more of a problem for the people who were here, you know, prior to growth. Because I I would agree that what's driving a lot of the housing price increases is going to be that population growth that we've seen, and so. Yeah, when it's it's going to hurt the people who have been here for before growth or before COVID, because they were the ones who you know they could deal with a lower price on their fixed income and they could afford that, but it's not like their fixed income is going to change. So when we have all this growth and then that increases my rent, well, my fixed payment isn't the same. Right. So when when we've got people who are on a fixed income, I mean that they're going to get hit uh, more forcefully than than other individuals. And, and some of that's just going to be, they have a fixed income, but we have these increases in price due to growth. I mean, yeah, yeah that is something that, you know, we are already seeing. And I think that that's something that unfortunately we'll probably be seeing a lot more of. Here's another couple of comments. Matthew Susson in Tampa says, wages are incredibly way too low for the year over year increase in rent. It's almost impossible to be able to go to school and try to afford rent at the same time, especially when landlords continue to increase the rent mercilessly year over year. Why am I paying just over $900 for an apartment with three other roommates to a company that isn't even based in Florida? And then here's a comment from William Gravely, a teacher and business owner who lives in St. Petersburg. Like I had a conversation with my nephew and and one of his friends the other day. They said, yeah, we're making more money, but it costs so much more to live. We're still just breaking even. As a teacher, I need a second job. And if I had to rent the house that I live in, I'd be paying almost $3,000 a month. No way I could afford to buy it right now. Um, so, so things are changing and not all, all together for the better because as much as we have, I think they estimate over 1,000 people moving to Florida every day, there are also people who are now deciding, I can no longer afford to live in, in Florida. Steve, I wonder about that. Do you get the sense that the high cost of housing may be changing the kinds of jobs that people are going out for? thinking about some of 
those wages and, and those where people might be looking at for a starting salary or starting wage, is it dissuading people from certain jobs? That's difficult to, to quantify, but some of the things that we've seen is, you know, a, a hospital down in Southern Pinellas County recruits out of Manatee County for entry level jobs because the president of that hospital realizes he's not gonna be able to find people in Pinellas County who can afford to live here. You know, there's not much land to, to build new construction here. So the demand is causing rents and housing prices to go up. So it's really, it's really hurting the tourism industry to get the lower wage individuals, uh, hospitality, entry-level positions. You know, healthcare is really the sector where we have the most employees as well as the most job openings. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is at the entry-level position. And that comes back to, I think, a point you made before about some of the other challenges and pressures that people face, transportation being one of them. If people have to live out of county for their job, that puts an extra cost bid on, the, on them, right? Correct. And without a rapid transit system or a transit system in the Bay Area, it makes it tough. And a lot of the people who are underemployed or unemployed are in pockets of St. Petersburg and Tampa that need that transportation to get to the jobs. You know, they're underserved right now. And, you know, there's untapped potential with these individuals, but they have the, these barriers that we have to overcome to get them back into the workforce. Michael, a lot of the comments that we've gotten from our listeners in the community have revolved around how new residents come into the state of Florida and they're getting they're bringing with them higher paying remote work how do you see that playing into the overall wealth the overall economy of the state well if we want to talk overall wealth and overall income measured by kind of a state's gdp uh, that number is going to go up and i would agree that they're taking these better paying out of state you know remote jobs and that that's really the kind of one of the defining characteristics of the people that of most of the people that we see coming into the state is that they are bringing in this high, these higher incomes, these higher paying jobs, these higher wages, or maybe just retirees that already have their nest egg and are bringing that wealth in. And so, yeah, a lot of that growth is coming in, and having this effect on, on inflation, but it's not just the people, it's the type of people who are coming here. They tend to be wealthier and that puts even more of a pressure on prices. And then that's going to be something that affects people who are working at a lower minimum wage or on a fixed income. Presumably, they're going to have more money in their pocket to spend in the local economy, though, right? Well, yes, but it, it mean they're going to be spending more at a higher price. So again, it's it's just kind of how much, if we want to think of it as economic activity, is just kind of the number of transactions that take place. Well, yeah, if I've got a higher income, normally I would spend more, but if prices for housing or rent are higher, you know, the prices at restaurants might be a little higher well, then that's going to be sometimes enough to kind of offset bringing in this income. And part of the reason, a good part of the reason why we have an inflation rate that's still higher than the rest of the country is that some of these these growth effects are kind of outpacing pricing effects. And so that's why we're seeing kind of an, a, an average price or an average inflation rate, why we tend to be a little bit higher than the rest of the country. Kind of that wealth effect is, is a little bit bigger than the, the price effect, at least for right now. Well, I want to thank you both very much for your time. Michael Snipes, Instructor in Economics at the University of South Florida, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Also been speaking with Stephen Meyer, CEO at CareerSource Pinellas. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's Florida Matters for this week. Find more details about our Changing State series, including photos of the people we are meeting and visiting, on our website, wusfnews.org. Next week, we'll examine the political changes that are shaking up the Sunshine State. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Look for Florida Matters. The producer for Our Changing State is Denora Prevost. The reporter for this episode is Craig Kopp. We also receive support from engineer Jackson Harp, digital editor Carl Lishengrello, and news director Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.